0: Welcome to this special edition of the BRFCS podcast. This is the latest in an occasional series entitled Revisionist Rovers, in which we take a look back at a point in the club's history from a different perspective. In this episode, Michael Taylor reviews and reconsiders the reign of Graham Sooness.
1: Rovers have won
0: the Worthington Cup here at Cardiff. What an amazing afternoon. The Rovers fans start so on the far side. Graham Sounes with Phil Borsma hugging each other on the far side. Andy Cole with the winner in the second half. What well, an afternoon to him, there, All right, so great to I've never. Win- ah, those were the days. Blackman Rovers winning the Worthington Cup in 2002. No doubt the absolute high point of Graham Sounes' time as our manager but I've been thinking about Soonus recently. On Sky's Monday Night Football recently, he was the focus of attention and retrospective scrutiny. As well as being an engaging studio summariser and the scourge of Paul Pogba, they made him the subject of a fans' question and answer session. He mainly talked about his time playing at Liverpool and his record as a manager, notably with Rangers and at Anfield. At times, it was emotional. He didn't explicitly say so, but he regretted doing an exclusive with the Sun newspaper just a few short years after that paper so viciously slandered Liverpool's supporters in the aftermath of Hillsborough. He clearly wished he could turn back the clock and he said, quite visibly upset at the memory, that he wishes the Liverpool supporters could remember him differently. I remain fascinated by Souness as a character. He was truly one of the great players of my lifetime, the captain of one of the greatest club sides of them all. His character, his grit, his drive were forged then. They gave him his reference points for his later career in management and I would argue they were to be his downfall. There was only one reference on that programme to his time at Ewood Park. He was our manager from 2000 through to 2004 where he had some truly great times and he referenced one of the best players he ever coached. Our very own Turkish delight, Tugay. Had he been asked about his time at little old Blackman Rovers, I think I know what he will have said. In fact, this is what was written in his second published biography in 2013.
1: To finish sixth in the league, I think the club would certainly take that now. To get promoted at the first asking, to win a major trophy, to finish sixth, to qualify for Europe twice, I consider that a successful time. I definitely regret leaving. I had four of my happiest years in management at Blackburn and I do think now it was a mistake to leave. But if I hadn't left Blackburn then, I would probably still be in management now.
0: Really? There's an alternative history of his later years at Rovers that needs airing and that's what I want to do here. I'm grateful for all of his success that he brought us. I appreciate too that there were good players in the team he bequeathed to Mark Hughes after he left. But I had it on pretty good authority at the time that he was just a game away from the sack when Newcastle United came calling. Of all his jobs in management, Blackburn Rovers was the only job where he exceeded the expectations of the supporters. He revolutionised Rangers in five years there and deserves credit for that. But that's what is expected of a club in that size of city and with their rivalry with their closest, bitterest city rivals. Elsewhere, Torino, Benfica, Southampton, Galatasaray, and of course Liverpool, none of them were 10 years of a glittering career. He needed the Blackburn Rovers job as much as we needed a manager to get us back on the path Chat Walker intended. Let's have a look for a moment at the backbone of the squad that won promotion and lifted the Worthington Cup. Let me pick five players completely at random. Henning Berg, David Dunn, Martin Taylor, Keith Gillespie and Andy Cole. He fell out with Berg and sold him to Rangers. He sold Dunny to Birmingham, a relationship that had truly broken down. And I frequently remember his withering assessments of Martin Tiny Taylor, that he was son-in-law material, frankly too nice to be a decent centre-half. Keith Gillespie left for Leicester in 2003 with a parting shot at Soonus that he didn't speak to him in the rundown of his contract, and in Gillespie's book he paints a picture of a manager parading around in a towel and brogues. A comical image. The respect had clearly gone as quickly as one of Gillespie's bets on the horses. He got plenty of goals out of Andy Cole for sure, even signing his pal Dwight York, hoping it would reignite his dynamic partnership from the Manchester United treble winning side of 1999. It didn't work. Cole reported him to the PFA after a series of training ground bust-ups. as admitted himself that he physically attacked York in a five-a-side game.
1: I regret that. I don't want to say too much about what happened, but certainly it was my fault. I shouldn't have been trying to play five-a-side at 50 years of age. Andy Cole and Dwight York were good players, but we fell out in the end because I thought they could be giving so much more. I felt they were taking their foot off the pedal
0: and despite the success of the previous seasons 2003 2004 was a disaster the rover squad started to change in the summer of 2003 Damien Duff joined Chelsea for 17 million pounds and David Dunn was sold to Birmingham for 5.5 million and those who left were replaced inadequately out of the Cups early, out of Europe straight away only a late burst of form in April fought off relegation it's a heartbreaking paradox of his time at Ewood, that in the space of, the, of a year he made the best and the worst signings in the history of the club. Two Guy was a revelation. I remember thinking at the time, he'd better be some player to improve on Ail Berkovic, who I really liked and was a key player in our promotion season. And he truly, truly was. The things he could do with a ball, the way he could control a game, and he played right through till he was 36. All managers, however, sign players that just don't work out. But the £7.5 million signing of Corrado Grabbi took some beating. And the bigger the fee, the bigger the flop. The trouble with Sunus seemed to be that this wasn't just a temporary lapse in judgement. It seemed all his signings after that were poor. Not one of Lorenzo Amoruso, Barry Ferguson, Dwight York, Dino Baggio, Vratislav Gresko could be judged a success. Even Lucas Neal, Stephen Reid, and Brett Emerton failed to make a positive impact under him, arguably turning in their better performances after Soonas left. Imagine for a moment that this frittering away of wages and big fees had been half of what it was, and he left for something else. What would his successor then have achieved? But that's not it. I think it's more than that. I think football's outgrown him. As a player, Soonas was a winner. He won by ruthless commitment to his craft. He took on responsibility. He also had a very clear idea of what his goals were and how to achieve them. On the Sky programme, Sooner spoke of his early days as a player at Liverpool, asking Bob Paisley and Ronnie Moran what he was expected to do. They castigated him. He had to take responsibility himself to fit into a team alongside what he described as real men like Tommy Smith and Alan Hansen. If you think about the players he actually got on well with, who he managed effectively, and who he didn't manage to fall out with, they were very much cast in that mould. Two-guy, Damien Duff, Gary Flitcroft, Stiginger Bjornaby. I think he resented players who hadn't to fight as he had. But time and expectations caught up with him. He proved at Rangers that he wasn't a terrible manager. But they had that clearly defined goal. Be better than Celtic. At Liverpool, it was to get on that perch again he failed. When he took over at Ewood in 2000, there was a very clear aim. Get promoted. The next season, it was survival. As a squad, that group really kicked on and achieved. When he signed Andy Cole, it was, Andy, get us 15 goals and we'll stay up. And he did. The Worthington Cup was the absolute icing on that really, really sweet cake. But what was the goal after that? What was the goal after securing premiership status? Champions League? I'm not entirely sure that any of us really knew. And I'm pleased that he has affection, at least for us, as a group of supporters.
1: My last game before I left was at home to Manchester United. We were winning 1-0, but then Louis Saha took the ball down with his hand in the 92nd or 93rd minute and they scored. After that game I was asked if I was interested in the Newcastle job. I think at the time John Williams was fairly happy about the deal because they were getting good compensation for me. But Mark Hughes inherited a very good side with good players. The fans at Blackburn were good to me. They weren't on your back straight away. They gave you time and got behind you. I can only say I really enjoyed my time at Blackburn.
0: Frankly, the board couldn't believe their luck. The idea that his career took a dive after his time at Rovers is remarkable. I hope I've demonstrated on this that that decline was already well underway. Maybe there's a reason he hasn't worked since. But for all of that, I still like him. Managing these millionaires is a thankless task. Trying to find them a week's wages for misconduct is like dropping ten pence for the rest of us. For all of the memories of that rotten last season and the millions that were wasted, I retain an affection for those early years. Thanks, Graham. By the way, massive thank you to Joe Bamford a BRFCS Forum member and his band The Symmetry for providing all the incidental music used in this episode I hope you'll look them up on Facebook and if they're playing live near to you well go and see them